Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Matt, welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. For all the listeners out there, appreciate the support. Hopefully everyone's doing well. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. How are you, Justin? Ah, doing pretty well, actually. Uh, you know, during these times, it's always it's interesting how creative we get or the sort of the things we get into. Uh, my wife found a uh, like a caterpillar, a butterfly jar breeding ground. I don't even know what the correct term of it is, but basically we're raising butterflies right now. And so that's been an interesting experiment. Uh, they grow exponentially faster, I feel like. Um, but my son, who's one, you can tell the difference between my daughters and my sons. My daughters is like everything's growing nicely. The little netting that they're creating for themselves is nice and uniform. Whereas my son, when we got it, he shook the living heck out of it and yeah. threw it around. So his, I'm not sure if they're going to be, uh, you know, regular looking butterflies or what, but uh, it's interesting to see that uh, the growth and, and how excited my daughter is. My son, I don't think he really cares, but nonetheless, it's something that uh, I don't know without the coronavirus uh, pandemic, if we would have been doing something like this, but either way, it's something new and exciting for us here at the Goche residence. Yeah. And you can see, you know, how important is nurture versus nature? How, how resilient are these butterflies? it's it's definitely an experiment for sure because yeah his is if they live to if they can live through what he's done to that little plastic jar thing uh i'll be quite impressed but uh on to more important things on the work front uh matt here we are on the flow line again appreciate uh you getting on we're doing this remotely again for the for the folks uh, out there matt uh a topic today i think is important actually it's something that uh me personally with uh, a current customer of ours we done uh, did quite an extensive uh set of logs and uh data collection so i think logging and and logging fluids would be a good topic today what do you think oh absolutely i think this is probably one of the things that drives me the most nuts is when we're going to log and trying to get out of the logging folks what they need for the fluids especially when they say well, I I need this specific property. And you say, well, why? Or do you understand what that means for everything else? And obviously they don't. They say, well, in the handbook, it says I need this. And you're like, is that how old is that handbook from 30 years ago? Because things have changed with chemistry. And so it's like, we don't know logging and they don't know mud. And uh, it gets very expensive if we get it wrong. So yeah, uh, hopefully this kind of kits folks out to think a little bit more and and hopefully um I, I don't know have a better conversation with the logging folks when we have to do something to the mud. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I mean obviously the amount of money that operators spend on data acquisition uh and logs that that are maybe a little bit more unique that may take a little bit more time uh you know being out of the hole and having static wellbore conditions. It's 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 something that needs to be planned for. Uh, there needs to be a great level of communication between all the parties involved. Uh, and, and so you're you're right. And and there's certainly certain limitations that certain logs have, and so on and so forth. Uh, so it's certainly you know more than anything just being aware 
of the things to consider uh, before you know making logging runs or you know any data acquisition for that point. But uh, Matt, why don't we kind of briefly describe the different uh, the different log types that we can experience from a drilling uh, perspective? Well, we know there's a gazillion different types, right? Um, yeah. You know some of the, you know one of the most common is is resistivity logs, right? Measuring the the conductivity or resistivity of the formation, running a little electrical current through it, um, and kind of seeing, and, and in fact, you know, people, uh, calibrate their tools. So when, you know, the logging folks ask for, or ask for a mud sample, um, or maybe, uh, even, um, maybe even ask for some filtrate, something along those lines, they are actually taking that and running a, a resistivity check, uh, to calibrate it relative to their tools. Mm. Um, you know, there's other things like uh, like bulk density. What's the porosity of this rock? So, um, do I have any idea? Um, is there you know is there void spaces where hydrocarbons or gas could be in place? Um, and then uh, you know acoustic logs, uh, s- similarly. And a lot of these the thing is there's so many of them, and a lot of them kind of overlap. And as much as one data set validates another or offers a greater degree of confidence. Um, and so, I mean, I was looking at a table recently as far as like relevant data versus log type. And I mean, there had to have been 20 different log types listed across there. Um, mm. and you know, a red, yellow, green, as far as how much insight it generates, but they tell you the type of rock, they tell you the porosity, the permeability. Um, they, so they can, they can shed a lot of light on a lot of different things. Right. Um, it's just, uh, and, and that's part of the challenge too, is we don't know exactly what they're running and, you know, how many of them are telling them what or why, you know, you've mentioned dedicated logging runs, but even logging well drilling where the tools are on the pipe. Yeah. Good point. Um, so it's just, uh, and, and this is, you know, when we talk about the confusion, it's, it's just the beginning. Uh, however, I think it's probably worth recognizing, um, you know, you may benefit from some of this information just as much as, uh, you know, the customer might, um, but recognizing all of those, that there's a bunch of different types, they lead to a bunch of different information and they may alter the demands on what the fluid properties need to be, uh, is pretty important. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, uh, for those out there who aren't maybe familiar with it, with, you know, what a log looks like, you know, it's when I remember being on the rig as a roughneck and we'd say, Oh, we're going logging. You know, of course, the first thing I think of, uh, being up in, you know, the forest up in Canada is like, Oh, you know, go chop down a tree and, and somehow do logging. Uh, it was not something that I was familiar with. And, you know, it, it's not typically something that uh, gets explained very well on, on certain levels, depending on your role and responsibilities on a drilling, uh, drilling rig. But uh, nonetheless, it's basically a long and now it's probably a lot of it's more digital. But, you know, not too long ago, they were printed out and, and it was a long, a long sheet of paper, maybe, you know, 12, uh, just a typical width of the paper and this thing can be 10 15 20 feet long and it's basically a bunch of vertical squiggly lines and depending on how far right or how far left the line goes uh they can determine uh, a lot of things uh, basically what's going on downhole and without getting into log evaluation because i'm certainly uh, not a uh, geologist of things of that but uh nonetheless that's kind of what it looks like and then from there you can determine a lot of uh you know a, a lot of what's happening a lot of what's going on with the rock and they actually use these uh to be able to identify you know the top 
of a certain formation, the bottom, uh, and and ultimately you you know reservoir engineers can use these logs to calculate the initial oil in place or how much gas and oil and water are, are in there. So there's there's a quite a bit of information uh, and things that these logs tell us. Um, so anyway, just wanted to kind of brush up on that and uh, explain that a little bit, but. Matt, what, what type of methods are there? Is this something that we, like we mentioned logging while we're drilling, so obviously the rock's exposed. Um, is this something we do, uh, we can do with casing in the hole or can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. So you can definitely uh, log with, you know, with casing. Of course, you know, some of these logs are pretty sensitive and so they need to be touching the rock, but uh, cement bond logs are a great example where we don't know if we have a good cement job um, or a uh, great example out, uh, you, you know, you hear about these SWD or saltwater disposal wells where they're injecting fluid and it's critical to make sure that the, the zones are all isolated above. And so they'll run the uh, cement bond log after every, pretty much every casing interval. They'll run the log and, uh, and make sure they have good contact between the cement and the formation and the pipe. Mm. Um, so case hole, you can definitely do, uh, Sometimes I'll do it after the fact to see, uh, you know, later on, is there corrosion? Is there a hole? Um, so there's a lot you can do on case toll. And of course, you know, you've got a stable wellbore, you know, it's relatively engaged. And I mean, if not, you'll find out pretty quick. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so most of the time, I, I think we'd focus on an open hole. Uh, and so, you know, an open hole, you could do that, um, you know, as mentioned on pipe with those logging well drilling tools. There's actually equipment where you can uh, log through the bit. So you use a special drill bit that kind of has a probe that comes out. Um, there's, uh, and then uh, on wireline where you actually, you know, run this, uh, run the tool suite um, on wireline, which is faster for trips. Uh, and those can have, you know, lots of data bandwidth. Uh, so it just, um, it kind of depends. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons to run these and, and sometimes in exploration or your first well, you'll do a whole bunch of this stuff and then you won't see it again. Uh, so, um, you know, methodology can definitely vary. Um, I remember we actually, we had a lot of trouble on one well I was on getting a uh, wireline down for whatever reason, which was, it was vertical hole. It was very strange. Interesting. Uh, and so we just, we ran the logging tools on pipe. It was a, it was a dedicated trip, but we just ran the tools on pipe because we could work our way down. Um, okay. And the, the equipment came out okay, but um, it was just, I can, I can put some weight on it now. Uh, so those are, you know, that's how you get the information more or less uh, when you're logging. Okay. No, that, that's, uh, those are some valid points, Matt. And, and so from, op- you know, operationally, that, that actually qu- explains it quite well. Uh, let's discuss a little bit about fluid requirements and, and how we, from a drilling fluid standpoint, actually help uh, and assist in these uh, this type of, type of data acquisition. Um, Matt, can you sort of touch on how important a drilling fluid is when we're doing logs? Well, I think it can be really important. You know, the the irony to me is is when the uh, uh, you know most of the time mud quality only becomes an issue when you have an issue. Um, you know, a lot of folks just say, oh, we're drilling ahead, whatever. But uh, there can be some pretty serious... Think about how expensive this logging stuff is. It can be pretty serious if you don't get the data you need when you took the, you know, you took half a day of rig time to, you know, do a wireline run or, um, 
you know, anything like that, where, where the information isn't the quality you were looking for, um, it's a serious problem. Um, and, you know, some of it, obviously, we, we can control and some of it we, you know, we can at least make a note of. You know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is even borehole quality. I mean, we can do things to inhibit shales, to minimize washout, hopefully. Um, but a lot of these need near-gauge holes so that the calipers, the little arms that, that uh, run against the side of the wellbore, sometimes, it, you know, you have four arms, you have six arms. Normally, sometimes they have 16, even more, to touch as many contact points as possible right. um, to, touch the, um, to touch the side of, of the wellbore. Um, so you need near gauge hole because if, if, if one side is sticking out is washed out further than those calipers can reach, you either don't get data or you get bad data. Um, you know, one of the things when I'm always, you know, we, we talk about caliper sweeps and that sort of thing, uh, when they're running acoustic logs, which is pretty common, um, acoustic logs can give you some idea of what washout you're up against. Um, and so if there's ever a question, you can sort of check it against that. And also, if you're saying, hey, I'm trying to calculate whole volumes, what was my washout? Um, they may be able to tell you. However, acoustic is only good for like a couple of inches. So if you have significant washout, um, it's not going to pick pick that up. But okay. um, obviously, borehole quality, you're sticking pipe up against uh, open hole in, in many cases. That's a big deal. And then the washout of, of trying to do everything you can to have in-gauge or near-gauge hole. Um, so those... those uh, little arms. I, I'm, I keep calling them calipers, but the, basically the probe ends can, can touch the formation on all sides. Uh, that's significant. Mm. Um, and then we kind of run into what can I do to the mud? Right, right. So let's talk about that. And I mean, it, it certainly depends. I know uh, sort of a rule of thumb back in the day for us from a drilling fluid uh, programming perspective, it was always wanting to have uh, you know, just I'm just talking from a very basic level, like a thicker mud would help with logging. Now, I don't know, maybe that was a certain type of log or whatever, but, um, you know, are there certain properties other than like viscosity or maybe, a, you know, fluid loss? Um, what, what are the things that we really need to key in on? Are, and there, are there any rules of thumbs or is it case by case? There's kind of a, one of the catch 22s is, uh, logging is a great opportunity to have sag, right? You're, you're moving at relatively slow rates, especially on wireline, the well's static for a while. Um, and so some folks want to thicken up the fluid. Others want to get it as thin as possible to minimize surge and swab because, um, you know, if you're moving slowly, it's less likely of an issue, but, um, you basically have this very large tools that are trying to stick against the formation. So you have very large OD of pipe there. Um, and so surgeon swab could be a risk. So mm. I guess trying to balance those two out is a little bit of a trick. Um, in as much as I would never, if I was going to log, I wouldn't want to use fresh mud. I would want to make sure that it's been sheared up really well, keep an eye on any sag, uh, concerns, make sure that I don't have light spots coming back. If, if we do get to break circulation, right. um, so that is, you know, one caveat. I think, um, you know, differential sticking, if we're moving slowly or we're stopping at a spot, um, type fluid loss is, is, but it goes beyond that. So differential sticking, obviously, if we're moving slow or the pipe is static. Um, of course, if you've ever been around uh, where they've used a, a source, so sometimes you can use a radioactive material. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 
if you've ever seen how someone gets freaked out when you get stuck with one of those because it's such a big deal. Um, I've been told by folks that it's actually not that big of a deal from a health and safety perspective, but the regulations behind everything kind of assume that everything is horrific. So if you did have to sidetrack, you got to pump a bunch of red semen and fill out a bunch of paperwork and it's, it's a big deal. So getting stuck, especially with a source is something we, we never want to do. We don't want to leave radioactive material down in our wells. Um, but even the biggest thing like in a, is filtrate disruption. If I'm trying to measure, for example, hydrocarbons in place, um, and I have really high fluid loss or a bunch of losses, um, it can, it can invade, you know, I've, I've heard more than six feet into the formation where you can't really pick up those hydrocarbons because you're just looking at the filtrate. Um, so that's a problem. I think, uh, you know, one of the holy grails I hear is having a, having a conductive oil-based mud, uh, something that when I'm doing resistivity logs and that sort of thing offers uh, something that can shed some insight. Uh, I've definitely heard, I've heard stories of people pursuing it. I think they tend to be, have been fairly costly or, or impractical. Um, but uh, this may be the reason sometimes an operator says we're using water-based mud for this interval. Uh, and we've actually drilled part of an interval with water-based mud and then displaced over to oil-based mud in a situation like that. Oh, um, wow. So it's just, it's one of those is we need to log this section. We'll drill with water-based mud. We know we can't get to TD with just water-based mud. So we'll displace out once we've logged that section. Um, so it's, it's a thing. Yeah. No um, kidding. Well, you, you mentioned red cement. Do what? Do you know what that is? Like, I've never heard that term before. And so out of just uh, selfish curiosity, I was curious, you know, what is red cement? So, I mean, it's just, it's cement with a dye in it. Uh, so it's, it's a material usually called fluorescein. Um, okay. And it's just a very concentrated dye that you would, you would dump in the mix. Uh, uh, okay. So that, you know, if let's say somebody else intersected that well bore or tried to reenter it, they would see red cuttings coming across and, you could stop everybody from drilling into a radioactive source. Uh, um, so that's, uh, you know, it's just another indicator. Makes um, sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, die, that die is actually kind of handy. Sometimes they always have it on the rig. Well, they have to have it if there's a source out there. But um, I've used it, uh, for example, in displacements. We'll put it in the lead spacer so it's easier to see coming back. Um, you know, stuff like that. Gotcha. But, um, it's out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, and, and certainly when it comes to fluid properties, uh, when, it tum- when it comes time to logging and casing, that's when we as fluid engineers need to make sure that our fluid properties are within spec uh, and, and, as, and as good and as perfect as we can. And oftentimes, you know, everyone is, is always trying to get to the next step and, and, and hurry up and let's get it done. But uh, I encourage everyone out there to, to, you know, you know, make sure we're patient and, and get the fluid properties in line, because the last thing you want to do is go in, make a logging run and you can't get logs to bottom. That's uh, that just makes everyone, you know, every, then the tension's high and it can make for, a, you know, an unpleasant day on the rig if you can't get logs to bottom. So. Uh, just, I encourage everyone out there to be vocal and, and if, you know, there needs to be more time to circulate and condition, get the properties in line. Uh, it, it certainly can save, you know, help save the day, you know, a few hours of rig time 
to get the mud in shape is a lot better than having to spend another 12 hours making a trip, going in, making a clean out run. Uh, it's, you know, it can be tough. And so, uh, just wanted to, to reiterate that. And, um, you know, Matt, there's one sort of, there's, there's some limitations that, uh, you know, from, from my experience that sometimes can often be, uh, you know, tough to achieve or just real fine tune is the salinity um, of even the water or the water-based mud or even the oil-based mud. Um, Matt, why would salinity be so important to the, to these folks? And I'm, I'm talking like, you know, the last one that I remember doing here recently was, you know, they had to be less than 90,000, but above 60,000 uh, on the chlorides. And so why, why would something like that be so important? So, uh, some of that can be driven by the inherent resistivity of a certain fluid. Um, also they want to be outside of certain ranges. For example, that sounds like, uh, formation water is, you know, could be somewhere in between there and that's something they're targeting. So they say, stay out of that range. So we'll know it when we see it. Um, because in essence you can, the formation water is typically, you know, it was ocean water at one point. So, uh, you can kind of using what is mostly sodium chloride, understanding the resistivity of sodium chloride at different temperatures and conditions, calculate the equivalent salinity in a formation. Uh, so sometimes I'll say, well, we don't want any filtrate that's going to be within that range because it would throw us off. Um, so there's, there's, uh, you know, some situations like that, uh, I've had a few where they say, well, it's gotta be below 6,000. Um, and if you're drilling through any form of salt, it's very difficult to keep it that low. Um, so that was, uh, that was in Indonesia. It was, it was this log. No one could explain to me why, but we had to drill with, you know, fresh, fresh water and no, you know, not pick up any salt. And, you know, I couldn't really control what we were drilling through. So it was, it was a lot of aggressive dilution, but at least it was water-based mud. Um, you know, and, and then even what kind of salt is there. So high potassium, a lot of, some of the gamma logs, uh, focus on potassium cause it's present in shales. And so if you're trying to shell shale versus sandstone limestone, uh, it can throw some things off. And so there can sometimes be limits on how much potassium, which we like to use as a shale inhibitor. So, um, this stuff does get a little tricky and bear in mind, logging folks are not chemists, but engineers are not logging engineers. Um, this is where everybody sort of get needs to take a step back and not get so frustrated. Like, what do you want? And understand yeah. that it's, you know, I want a mud with no potassium. I have to have potassium, you know, just back and forth and, and understanding that we're all trying to get a job done. Um, it can be, it can be pretty challenging. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, Matt, you mentioned this a while back with regards to tracer additives. Is that something that's common or, or what's the sort of the benefit on that before we move on? I mean, there, there can be a number of benefits with, with tracers, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So if I, if I put a, tra- a tracer in that a log will pick up, it can actually see how far the filtrate has invaded, for example. So mm. I can calibrate my log to say, look, you know, at this depth where I got this reading, the filtrate invasion was only six inches, but a little further down, it was 18. And so I need to account for that when I'm trying to account for what I'm actually seeing. Um, so there's a lot of calibration things that you can do with tracers. Um, it's, it's, uh, pretty, they don't use them all the time, but they can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just worth keeping in mind. And, and, you know, tracers are another frustrating thing where, 
we're basically told, Hey, run this tracer. Um, and then asked to, you know, carry a base, you know, do a titration or, or do some form monitoring. And it happens infrequently enough to frustrate everyone, um, because they're doing something a little different, uh, you know, making sure we're adding it at the right amount that we're tracking everything. Um, and typically these things go in at fairly low concentrations. So, um, I think it's just more so a heads up because a lot of times a mud service provider is asked to provide it and then kind of monitor the concentrations because it's sort of part of a mud check. Um, but it's not something you do every day. So, you know, we, we've had, we had an issue recently where, you know, some, the subsurface folks had a pretty detailed set of goals. Um, and I don't, I don't think, you know, diesel as a base oil was going to mask the tracer. Uh, and there's just, you know, diesel is a combustion spec. I can't tell you what molecule is going to look like. Um, and so it goes back to the conversation of, of what are we going to do? Is this even practical? Um, so there, there's a lot to think about there too. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you kind of talked a little bit into that. And, uh, it's funny you mentioned it. We had a, uh, a customer wanting to add a tracer called, it was some, some crazy that I'd never heard of like Al- alpha dodecene something, something or other. Uh, so not only was it something that we were unfamiliar with, uh, you know, the, the operator tasked us to source it and apply it basically how you described recently. And uh, we had, there were several conversations between us and the supplier on, you know, the right concentrations and they had spreadsheets that they sent us. And, you know, it, it was, it was just, there was a lot of back and forth, just making sure that this expensive uh, fluid that we were adding at 10 parts per million, which was like seven gallons in a, you know, 1200 barrel system. Like it wasn't much, but making sure that that was correct and crossing our T's and dotting our I's because we kind of had one shot and one shot only. Uh, so it was, it was pretty intense. And, you know, right. You know, as we were drilling, we had to add it, you know, at a certain depth and then we had to add it in our spotting fluid. And so it was, you know, outlining a detailed procedure for the mud engineer, uh, lots of communication uh, is is really uh, extremely important. I mean, communication is always important, but but when you're when the margin of for error um, is, is is extremely low, uh, it's something that we really got to keep in mind and and really just do our do our due diligence with regards to planning and communicating with you know, especially if we're dealing with chemistry that we're not familiar with. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's something like you said, it's, that's the first time I've done this, uh, since being in the mud business since 09, which, so that's, you know, it's quite a bit, uh, or it's, it's quite a long time for not uh, experiencing something like this. So again, not very common, but it is out there and something to be aware of. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think it's terrifying for a mud engineer who's used to telling, you know, Derek and, you know, put in half a pallet of this, Hey, uh, you know, go add like a mud cup of that. Um, it just, it just kind of throws you off and you're like, add it to where, you know, we're, we're normally not this, this level of precise. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, is it, is a tablespoon going to make a difference? Cause I don't want to screw this up. It seems like a big deal. So it's just, it can be pretty stressful. Yep. No, you're exactly right. Uh, Matt, so before we kind of close out here with, with everything we do, there's always challenges that we have to be aware of. Uh, what kind of challenges have you experienced uh, or ones that we can touch on? Well, I, I think a lot of the challenges come from those conversations. Uh, you know, my, my biggest frustration, um, somebody in logging, please explain this to me. 
when they say, hey, we need, a, we need an ES above 600 volts. Got to have it. And you say, well, why? And they're like, well, it's, it's in the manual. Well, how old is your manual? Because as we've mentioned, you know, in a number of different formats, um, API doesn't even have a spec. They say follow trends on ES. Uh, right. It's because we know an absolute number is garbage. It's completely worthless as far as how stable the fluid is. Uh, and so um, as long as we're trending okay, are we going to spend a bunch of money to uh, do some sort of gimmicks to jack up the ES? I mean, we can. It's just it's crazy expensive. And what is the reason? And uh, no one's ever been able to answer that. And then, um, you know, when we talk about chloride requirements, uh, one of the things that really throws me off is, uh, you know, we, we, some folks are like, okay, well, if we can't use chlorides, let's use, let's use sodium bromide as our fluid, uh, which is all well and dandy from my perspective. But um, when I titrate, uh, chlorides and bromides show up the same. Um, you, you can't make the distinction. Bromides appear as chlorides, um, which is fine if you've got a, you know, 100% bromide, but they're, they're similar enough that I always have the question, okay, what are you actually trying to accomplish on salinity? Because I'm concerned that if you're telling me you can't use chlorides, if, if bromides you know, are, are similar enough in a, it, you know, under some of these conditions, is it going to affect your logging tools? Because then we're going to spend a whole lot of money because bromides are really expensive um, to avoid this chloride limit. Um, and we may actually then be in the same thing with a bromide limit. And so it goes back to, well, in the manual, it says this. It's like, okay, but do you know why? Uh, because I'd really like to accommodate you as cheaply as possible. And I, you know, I've, I can tick every box you give me or I can try to. There's just a lot of money involved. Um, so I, I guess those are, it's a lot of those when the, when the logging folks are trying to offer MUD specifications that, and they don't know why, and we, don't, we need to know why, or we can't come up with the cheapest solution. That gets really frustrating for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, you, you kind of uh, reminded me of something talking about the why. Uh, you know, again, recently with uh, one of our customers, which they do a lot of data acquisition stuff. And, you know, I don't know, they must have some deep, deep pockets because I've never been a part of so much. But regardless, uh, they're getting what they need. But one of the ones, one, something that comes up all the time from the reservoir group or the geology group is saying, well, are we going to be adding barite? And so the answer is, well, yeah, because we have to, uh, in this, you know, for this well, for this depth, we need barite in the mud. We need a certain density. And they'll say, and then we'll ask them, well, well, how, how, you know, is, how, is there, is there a concentration that's too much? I mean, what's, you know, kind of like, why, what's the deal here? And then they'll kind of just reply by saying, well, just hopefully not too much. <laughs> and it's like, well, how much is too much? Is, is a pound per barrel too much? Is a uh, hundred pounds per barrel too much? Cause I mean, with the density of the fluid that can range pretty drastically. And so you know, even their own drilling engineers and I will, will kind of chuckle on the sidelines and say, are these guys for real? Like they, they're telling us not to have too much barite in there. And so the drilling engineer will say, look, we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to do what we need to do to maintain well control and they're just going to have to live with it. But, but to have that as a spec, it just kind of makes me scratch my head. And, you know, maybe some folks need to get back to the drawing board or, or at least, you know, and I mean, 
I, again, that that's that one's tough. But that's something else that I wanted to touch on too. Is a lot of times, you know, you can you can or can't have certain minerals or or uh, chemicals in there. And so oftentimes we've had to actually build brand new fluids using calcium carbonate versus barite because barite, for some odd reason, uh, affects the log. So um, you know, for the folks out there, you know, that are involved in this, uh, that's a that's a good question to ask if you're if you know you're going to be logging, you know, in a pre-planning stage, is saying, you know, what what chemicals are and aren't allowed because oftentimes they'll you know you'll be forced to you know build a fluid test it in the lab make sure that it actually will work when you get it into the field so uh again you know i've i've said this once and i'll say it again is is planning is of the utmost importance when it comes to this these type of operations yeah definitely i mean it's and and what's the thing is when when we can deliver good data and especially if you can build a relationship with these folks um you know they obviously they are in many ways they think of them as the scientists in a you know in a white room with a lab coat like they're they're pretty disengaged from the drilling process they're focused on physics and um you know some of these some of these properties um to do reservoir modeling or geochemistry or or some of these things and so um, a lot of their stuff is not going to feel practical when you think about drilling on a rig. Um, and I, I, it's fine to be sensitive to that, but if you can, if you can educate them, they'll educate you, which is really great. Um, and you know, who knows, they may even share information. I've had a number of customers who have said, look, I, I'd really like to take a, a crack at, at a problem you're having. Would you be willing to share the logs? And, and there's a standardized log format. It, it's LAS. You can you can download a reader and and look at different logging data, um, and it can be fairly insightful. Like, oh my gosh, we seem to always have tight spots in this shale. Now I can research because I know that depth, or I I understand um, a little bit more about what it looks like, or are we in a transition zone there? Um, and so you could just look at a gamma log and say, ah ha, this is this is interesting. Um, Wellbore breakout, I think, uh, you know, oh, this is, this is an unstable shale. May, how are we inspect, in, intersecting bedding planes? These folks may, you know, may share that information with you. And the reason that they don't, you know, they don't volunteer it is because nobody asked. They don't know it's important. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a product we recently released called MicroStrength. And one thing we did is we studied what are called MF, FMI logs or uh, um, their imaging logs. And uh, we could see the drilling-induced fracture sizes. Um, and to stop, you know, to limit their propagation, we design products to seal within that fracture width. So, I mean, if you, if you talk to these folks, you can learn a lot of things. Um, but, uh, um, that is an important place to build a relationship if you're trying to solve problems and, and, uh, really get the solution for, for the operator. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. Uh, that's something that's, again, important to build these strategic relationships with the folks that you're working with. And I mean, if people are passionate about their job, the one thing they want to do is talk about how cool their stuff is. So if you can share interest and uh, show that you are interested in what they're doing, you'd be surprised, like you said, what kind of information uh, that you could gather from a lot of these folks who don't necessarily get to uh, engage with folks outside of their normal little tight network uh, within their organization. So if there's a, you know, if there's an opportunity for them to to tell somebody about all the cool stuff they're doing, uh, you know, it's it's certainly valuable for both ends. Uh, but uh, with that being said, Matt, you know, I can't think of any other questions uh, with regards to logs. Uh, this has been such an exciting episode. 
<laughs> it's you know it's something that we don't do all the time uh, with regards to what we're doing on the rig, but uh, certainly something important that we need to be aware of. And uh, yeah, Matt, anything else you got, bud? Uh, no, I, I really can't think of anything. I think this is it's just a good discussion, and I, I hope a couple of folks inv- involved in logging send us some notes or something because. I'd love to hear more and uh, maybe we can all get along a little better after this. There you go. Well, with that being said, everyone out there, please subscribe uh, and do us a huge favor and leave a review that really helps support the show. And for all the continued listeners out there, we certainly appreciate the support. Uh, Matt, you have yourself a good, safe day. And until next time, take care for now. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.